Hey, how's my sound? Is it good there, Matt? You didn't tell me. You, you sound good to me. Yeah, it's good to me, too. It's looking good. We got you Matt. Good. He cannot take his Dodger hat off. He just is in a spiral, just like the Dodgers <laughs> are spiraling. Anyway, I'm renaming Office Hours. We got the Diamond here, the Life Fuel, Mikey Diamond and David Meltzer, a dose of Diamond and Meltzer. But I think we should rename this Rule Number 6 Office Hours. You know All what right. Rule Number 6 is? No, you tell me. Don't take, good so, don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> no one, no one, no one uh, has a show called "Don't Take Yourself So Seriously." This I mean, is our rule number six, great, is, right? That, that's it. That's the best because everyone takes themselves so seriously. Like I, seriously, every time I get on one of these office hours with you. Like sometimes Marino, it's hard to not take yourself seriously with like Marino or Mamola, but like I get into you and I'm like, you know, who is uh, Michael Baptista, Eric Cole, or uh, but I think people vibe, you know, with not taking themselves so seriously. Well, you know what it is. I deal with so many people that are like critical and take it so and like are really falling apart. So I can't take it serious. Like when people call me about some of the stuff that's really going on and they're melting down, I'm like, okay, you're calling me, let's figure it out. And I'm right. like, but I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Because if I join the, the pity party and I get into that victim mentality, like, oh, poor you, poor me, I end up drowning in that soup of crap. So I would just be like, I'm like, eh, all right, what are you going right. to do? Let's figure it out. Yeah, how much of that, you know, blame, shame, and justification attitude is genetic? You know, when you're dealing with addicts and you're dealing in recovery, I have uh, several people in those circumstances. Like, how much of that is, you know, genetic and how much is it just learned? You know, that's a really good question, Jay. I think um, a lot of addicts have that, unfortunately, that genetic disposition to go straight for poor me. And then when they get well and recover, they can figure out how to get outside themselves. The more service you do, the less you feel a victim. Right. So I always, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I always learned to be of service very early in my recovery, go to meetings, uh, be of service, just do the right thing. And the more time I spend worrying about how you're feeling and not in denial of my feelings, but just get out of myself and stop being like a like just whinging about everything. Like, dude, yeah. you know. I, so yeah. yeah, the addicts that I dealt with too, they definitely go from why me when they recover to try me. That you know, they're like ridiculous, like you, like thirteen miles a day. You know, uh, many half marathons in a month. The world Re- Guinness Book of World Records. Anyway, speaking of not taking ourselves so seriously, in rule number six. We got a special rule number six guest coming in. Steve Batista, co founder and CMO of Rev Town Jeans. And uh, he uh, and one of his old teammates have created a new, most comfortable jeans ever worn. And I don't know if you've worn them, but I have. He's not lying. This stuff, uh, it's like you can jog in them. They're so comfortable. But uh, Steve, welcome to what we've just renamed rule number six office hours with David Meltzer. And Mike Diamond, rule number six means don't take yourself so seriously. How can we when we're talking about jeans? There's one thing, Steve, welcome. But I wanted to add this, Mike. Uh, people, you know, working with me, they take things so seriously. And it's like, dude, do you realize we could screw up every single thing we do today and it will make zero difference in anyone's life? Like, you actually, you screw up, Mikey, someone kills themselves, right? It's a, it, It's something that you, you know, it's harder for you not to take it seriously, but better for you not to take it seriously. Steve, what don't you take serious in your Revtown jeans business, you know, or have you reached that pinnacle of enlightenment to just enjoy this ride? <laughs> well, I think, uh, thanks for having me. I think um, after that intro, every everything's, uh, you know, a lot lighter than that. Um, <laughs> Thank God we're not Mike. Thank God we're not Mike. <laughs> My, I mean, I guess someone walks around in jeans and is really uncomfortable for a, a long day or looks really bad in front of the uh, girl they're trying to impress, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, what? Yeah. You know, 
what drove, what drove you to where you are? Yeah, uh, so, you know, I was in the apparel business, uh, you know, early on with uh, Under Armour for almost 20 years. And, uh, you know, we reinvented this category called, uh, or invented this category called performance apparel. Uh, you know, most of us growing up in high school kind of wore whatever ratty t-shirt we could to work out in and, uh, you know, old uh, sweatshirt when it was cold. And, uh, you know, we built that brand and uh, one of my uh, partners over there uh, who was running the apparel side while I was doing all the brand marketing. Um, when he left, he had this idea about starting, um, you know, a, a jeans company. It had come from denim originally, and uh, he wanted to put some of that stretch from the athletic fibers into uh, real premium denim. And uh, we were lucky enough to find a 100-year-old mill, a family-owned place in Milan, Italy, that they're making jeans for 100 years. That's what they did. So we combined technology with the old world um, denim and felt pretty good. So that was three years ago. We're going strong. Yeah, it's amazing. That's so awesome. And, and what gave you that um, that initiative to do that? Because it's such a, like Lululemon does some pretty cool stuff. Um, and I love that performance that you're going after. What, what was the spark? Yeah, really, it was one of those things where um, as a you know, running marketing at, at Under Armour, we'd be doing photo shoots. So we always wanted to uh, you know, get outside of the gym or off the playing field. So we'd be doing photo shoots with some, you know, an athlete like Cam Newton or LeVar Arrington or, uh, you know, you pick any one of those marquee athletes that wear Under Armour on the field. And we'd say, okay, now we got this sweatshirt that's kind of like for off the field. Can you bring your pair of jeans and it'll be the perfect match? And they'd say, like, I don't wear jeans. I can't find jeans that fit me. I don't wear jeans. And it just always stuck in me, like, you know, the athletes, anybody who lifts weights or you know, works out or, or cycles or does anything, they have a hard time finding a pair of jeans. And when we got out of uh, performance apparel, we went, looked back at jeans and we're like, what, what happens to this market? I mean, there's like no technology in the last 50 years. Jeans, are the, everyone has jeans. They're the coolest part of our, our wardrobe. Like, why haven't they put any technology or innovation into it? And that's kind of where we've all our our niche and you know i think you had two uh reasons for being so successful i was i always tell a story about being approached by kevin and his uh college roommate steve uh for ten thousand dollars to compete against nike and lee and i and warren were like looking at each other are you kidding me like who would want to be in this apparel <laughs> business with nike uh i get i get the performance side of why under armor was successful but I just want to point out to everyone, and Steve, I've known, you know, you and I have met a couple of times. Uh, uh, you and I probably had uh, in the parties we were in, it was a little dark or maybe one too, too many tequilas for me. But, you know, I want people to know you're a 40 under 40 guy. You uh, went beyond. It's one thing to have performance material, but, you know, talk about marketing campaigns, right? Protect this house. Click clack, which is by far my favorite. Uh, and I will... You know, those three campaigns are, you know, engines behind going from $2 million to $5 billion in the 18 years that you were there. What, you know, you're a writer, you're, you're a local Baltimore kid from St. John's, if I remember right, or, or somewhere around there. And, you know, your specialty is emotional content. What are you doing with RevTown that you feel uh, has inspired you to the same level as, you know, protect the house and click clack and I will? You know, really, uh, for me, the, the, the key is always to speak authentically, you know, to talk like regular people talk. And, uh, you know, a lot of the success that you mentioned, you know, in my much earlier stages of life, uh, you know, really came because I didn't know the rules. So um, I didn't know what we we're supposed to do. I never took a marketing class, you know. Um, so, oh, you mean you, you followed rule number six? See, this all ties together, right? Uh -huh. You didn't take yourself so seriously every day a um, lot of pressure back then but uh you know we didn't we didn't have a rule book we didn't we didn't we weren't trained and i certainly like i said never took a marketing class uh and i try to apply that now with uh with RevTown the same way of what do you want in a pair of jeans and and what's the best way to tell that story you know like you know you don't you don't talk about 
uh, four-way stretch and microfibers, you're talking about, hey, this is going to feel great. You can sit in a car in traffic or at your desk and you're going to feel great. It's not going to bind up or, you know, get tight where you don't want it. And uh, you talk like regular people talk and, and doors seem to open. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, get a little bit of reverend and you could have, you know, I don't remember like Bullwinkle or whatever. You could have like a loose knuckle campaign and uh, <laughs> just in time for Mike Diamond to catch him. He's like, oh, shit, did Dave go there? Uh, I was talking about his genius campaigns, but uh, not taking jeans so seriously. But look, I will tell you that I started wearing jeans again uh, because of you guys. And, you know, as much as... There, there's an active life and with traveling on airplanes and things starting to pick up again, you know, I don't want to be in a heavy pair of jeans that, you know, doesn't do what, you know, all the other things that I wear do. And, you know, you have all the dress pants in the world that are doing it and the shorts I'm wearing today are doing it. Uh, but it's really important to have movable and comfortable and, uh, you know, washable <laughs> uh, items. And especially when it comes to jeans, uh, Mike, I know you're back. You missed a little bit. Any any questions you have? I I could hear you. I think I think what what I love about what you're doing as well is people jeans can look good and and be presentable and still be you know used for multiple things. And I think people forget that. Do you know what I mean? Like you said, it's such a great market, and they're just like comfortable. People forget it's okay to be comfortable. It's okay to like, you know, you don't have to be so stuffy. And, and it's like, I love, I love that approach. Do you know what I mean? It's like you said, a lot of people forget. You can, just because you're a sports guy or just because you're a little big. I know a lot of bodybuilders that can't get into jeans that would love your product, that they just, they're so big and jacked up. They don't, they're not comfortable in jeans. So it's yeah, awesome. There's the, you know, the, the people and, and really anyway, I mean, if you, if you look at jeans and, and you know, what the $300 pair of jeans will get you and like you can't wash it, you have to turn it inside out, you have to freeze it, you have to do whatever. Uh, and it's going to be really stiff and really you know gnarly on your skin. And uh, you know, we're making stuff that's as comfortable as we've all been wearing during COVID. Uh, they're going to look, they're going to look good. They're not going to be droopy. You're not going to be doing the dad jean thing. You know, it can actually look, look pretty decent and be comfortable. And then beyond the distribution, I mean, the marketing side of things, uh, were the distributors and, you know, the end-to-end workflow people, were they receptive to, you know, from your experience at Under Armour all those years, you have the retailers, the suppliers, the all the transport people, were you, those relationships readily available or is there a tight market where they didn't want to offend uh, Under Armour by doing business with you? No, no, not at all. Uh, you know, um, you know, one of our, our biggest fans is, uh, is, you know, founder of Under Armour, Kevin, uh, <laughs> constantly posting yeah. the jeans and, um, you know, we're, we're not making stuff to work out in we're it's, it's, uh, it, they're jeans or denim. It just happens to be, you know, have the performance of, of, of sports apparel, but, you know, as far as marketing and, and, and really setting it up, um, you know, the great thing about being somewhere for, for 18 years is you, you kind of, you learn, you have some scar tissue, right? Um, you know, going direct to consumer, having everything digital, um, not having to uh, uh, really um, get into the wholesale mess, uh, not having bricks and mortar stores, especially, you know, thank God, you know, when, when COVID struck, uh, uh, you know, just being, uh, you know, entirely digital was, um, you know, really a godsend. And it keeps everything uh, moving and, um, you know, as long as product can keep coming over from, from Italy, I think, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be all right. Yeah. Not having a rev town, uh, boutique hotel probably was good too. So yeah. <laughs> it's fun, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it would be fun. Anyway, uh, I, I love my jeans. I think you're right onto something, uh, that's going to grow around the world, uh, when we can combine what is the most, I think, uh, convertible uh, type of wear, you know, jeans can be uh, brought to the biggest business meetings all the way down to the sidelines. And, you know, comfort is the number one thing that people want in their apparel today. Uh, and then the way they look and your uh, denim allows you to get both right to be comfortable and look extremely good, which I love. Uh, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us. Co-founder and CMO of RevTown Jeans. If you haven't tried on a pair, you're missing out. Trust me. 
RevTownUSA.com. Thanks so much for joining us, my friend. Hey, thanks for having and having me. And uh, you know, we'll have to get that tequila soon. Oh, you got it. Everything's opening up. I'll see you at one of these games somewhere. I know yeah. it. Thanks, awesome. guys. You take care. Awesome. Uh, there's something about those Baltimore guys I love, man. Thank They're you. They're the real deal. I love how I'm you gonna... said this. Uh, is... Sorry, go. Well, go ahead. Don't take it too serious because if I took, even though my internet is running serious, I'd probably go out and relapse right now. <laughs> uh, that's why I have you here, just to remind everyone that uh, technology is a fickle fan of uh, the show. Anyway, we got another David coming on, and uh, David Selinger, he's the co-founder and CEO of Deep Sentinel. It's a tech company preventing home intrusion, auto tampering, trespassing, vandalism, all types of fun stuff that goes on in the world today. Uh, and with AI, video, audio components, uh, it's amazing how much data we can collect. Uh, so my first question, David, first of all, welcome to the don't take yourself so seriously version of office hours. We call <laughs> it rule number It's six. hard. I'm a security guy. I take everything super seriously. So... <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take my Valium and I'll join you guys back in another five minutes here. Right? That's so, cool. Well, my, my, Mikey's a recovery guy, so I mean, I was just saying, like, I'm, I'm in California. It's okay. Uh, I did. We'll we'll just take a legal puff here and see what happens in the next right. twenty minutes. Or a gummy or whatever else they give you for free <laughs> here. At least you're not in Oregon where it's a. Uh, 126 degrees. Well, I'm, I'm from Oregon, and I'll tell you, my Facebook feed is full of all these people who were bragging to me all summer last summer about how smoky it was in California. Like, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're melting right now. Um, so <laughs> it's so interesting because, you know, obviously 1984, Big Brother, uh, the idea of ubiquitous information and data is yep. upon us. The technology, yep. we, we can't even use uh, the capabilities that exist in this technology uh, from cars being able to record everything around them and transmit who and what is going on. But my biggest issue now, which is, I think, true of a lot of technology, is, you know, how can we be efficient with the, the data, right? Yeah. If, if we're going to have this, this cone of circle of data to protect us, um, it's one thing to record but it's another thing to be able to access it. And two, how do we uh, um, protect ourselves before the vandalism or the trespass occurs because of the threat of being recorded or, um, you know, that component seems so interesting and nobody person than you at Deep Sentinel to kind of tell us how is the prevention side yeah. being affected by the incredible capabilities of the actual technology. Well, so I'm, I'm going to kind of unpack a little bit of that right into two questions. Like the first one being, how do I think about data, right? And and you know the the first thing I would I always think that that people that are much smarter than myself about privacy always ask, and I think is the single best question to ask is, am I paying this person or am I paying this company, right? So I'm going to throw out the names of four companies and ask you just kind of off the cuff, who do you trust the most with your data? Amazon, Netflix, Facebook, Google, and Apple. So Facebook and Google, I've never given a red cent to really as a consumer. And they are at the absolute bottom of the companies that I trust with my data because I'm not paying them, right? They have no, I have no relationship with them where I can call and be like, hey, a-hole, I just gave you X dollars. I need you to, to do this. Amazon's kind of in the middle because they've got their streaming and, the, and their various stuff. But like Netflix, right? I know that Netflix is going to be the shepherd of, of my privacy and my data. I know that <clears throat> that Apple is going to be the and they, they consider that their their hallmark, right? Their their claim to fame is that because you pay us to do this, our job is to do this. And you know, the the some other folks like to say, like, if if you're not paying them, you're the product. Right. And so for Google and and Facebook, you're the product, you're not the customer. Right. Facebook and Google's customer facing operations are an aside. Uh, log into their advertiser dashboard and look at how they sell you. You're, you're the herd of cattle that they are selling to, to brands. Right. And so when you mentioned 1984 with a surveillance company, I am a surveillance company. My employees watch cameras and look for bad stuff to happen. The thing I like the most about what we do is that you're paying us to do that. Like if you tell us, hey, I don't want you to do that. You know what we're going to do? We're not going to do it. 
But if we're the government, we're some kind of amorphous third party out there looking at stuff. Uh, you 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 can't just say I need you to stop, right? We we by being a private company, by being paid by our customers, uh, I don't think we solve all those problems. I would never make that claim, but like I think it fundamentally changes the power dynamic of who's in charge, and I think that's just wickedly important. If, if you think about kind of the underlying premise of 1984 for, for everyone listening that's under, you know, the 45-year-old <laughs> high five uh, of us, um, you know, it, it, it's it's basically the fact that it's this them. Like everyone is a member of the them and they're all participating in the them, but no one's actually in charge. And, and the concept of capitalism where there's like somebody paying, I think, Again, it doesn't fix all that, but it's a super important first step. So then, what do we do, right? Like, okay, yeah. so, so neat. You have this private company. What the heck? You, got, you, you have an eight, you have an A plus so far. You already got a big post up there. So I already changing my uh, perspective. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, I'll try. I, you know, I'll try. I uh, I sit in this little office, you know, for the last sixteen months, and I, I all I have to do is think about. It. I can't leave. So you know, I, I've had a lot of time to think about stuff. Um, you know, the, the, what do we do? So we basically looked at security and my background's in AI. I, I ran the AI team at Amazon. I got my degree at Stanford and like, I've been in AI for 20 years. I really haven't done much else. Um, and so I think about AI a lot and, and in the last five years has been like this huge revolution in terms of what we can do with AI. And you see that, right. I mentioned Facebook, like you can tag your friends and you can see all this neat stuff that, that happens in AI. And I, I asked myself, um, how can I do good with this? How can I change the world? I've got two little girls at home. And, you know, for all the parents that are listening, you know, that changes your entire perspective on life. You, you know, your life is no longer really that important, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> right. And, uh, and it's like, how do I serve these two little beings that are freaking yelling at me right now? And, and I, I, I'm strangling them. Sorry. Uh, but you know, and how, how do I make their world better? And, uh, when I started looking at security, I watched what a lot of the companies were doing and they were just quote, adding AI to their, their systems. And, and it didn't really change the fundamental equation. And, and when I think about myself as a business person and myself as a customer, um, I find that really consistently solving the most important part of a problem is what really matters, right? Like the fact that I can arm or disarm my alarm using my phone, that's neat, that's a convenience, but it's not gonna really fundamentally change my sense of safety or my sense of security. And so I really pushed myself, there's a book behind me called The One Thing, right? What's the one thing that's gonna actually freaking matter? And in security, it turns out, the one thing that's gonna actually freaking matter is if you can make someone safer. And, you know, big, big secret. Don't tell ADT that. They haven't figured it out yet. Don't tell Ring and Nest. They haven't figured that out yet either. So so the one thing that matters in security is actually making someone safer. And the only way to really do that is to stop a crime. And so I started, instead of asking, how can I use AI to change cameras? I started with a fundamentally different question than everyone else in the industry, which is, how do I actually stop crimes? And... For, for those of you that aren't familiar with Deep Sentinel, you should be. What we do is we have cameras. They have AI built into them, but that's not where it's it stops. The AI then, when it detects a potential uh, suspicious object, calls a guard real time within seconds and has a guard viewing your camera within literally less than five seconds and then has built into a audio sirens uh, and is able then to intervene and say, hey, I, I see you there in your hoodie with a crowbar breaking into that store, stop. And then I'm going to give you one last warning. I see you now, you're hiding behind a column. What do you think I am, an idiot? I, I, I saw you walk from the door to the column. I can still see you there, get off the property. And then we call the police. And uh, what's great about that from a protection perspective is number one, 99% of crimes that we observe or that are starting, we stop them. They're, they start and they stop within 10, 15, 20 seconds. We have a YouTube station called uh, "Stopped by Deep Sentinel." You can watch if you're if you're like a, a, a you know an action video junkie, you're gonna love this. Every single week, we produce a video of all the crimes we stopped that week. Just bam, 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 bam. Um, and then the other thing, and this would be, I'll, I'll get off my like big soapbox here, is that when we call the police, they care. We're not calling and saying, 
hello, I have a motion alarm in the living room. I can't tell if it's just the dog, but I'd really love it if you'd show up, right? Like, thank you. This was ADT, by the way. Bye. Click. You know, what we call, we say, hey, I've got a white male, five foot six. He's wearing a hoodie, has a crowbar, and the homeowner's inside and is scared crapless. Can you please send an officer? You know what that is? That is a real call for service. That is a reason to call the police. That is a reason to provide security. So all of this comes together to say what we did was we asked, what's the one thing, right? And the one thing was make people safer. And you do that by preventing things. And we use data to, to help us do that prevention. To data informs speed. Yeah, my, uh, my friend had one of those services that you're talking about. And that's why I wanted to ask about prevention because his story was someone broke in the home, a rather large home. He knew the person was in his home and oh call, calls the security, right? The security calls him and said, what's your password? And he's like, help. Like, that's my goddamn password. I need help. Just call oh, the police. And they were like, no, no, we need your password, sir. And he's like, no, I have an intruder. And like, I guess he went through a two or three minute conversation. Dude asking for help and he finally hung up and called 911 and that, realized, which is exactly what you should do by the way if you have an alarm company for the love of god right i mean yeah uh, and, and, and you know you mentioned the time right so so let's look at the timeline of a crime so that person before they broke in probably was outside scoping the property out for between two minutes and five minutes the average time that i see when i see crimes is about three and a half to four minutes at the front door of a home so literally they're just waiting for you to respond. In fact, if you have a, a video doorbell, they're like ringing it to make sure that you're not home. Then they break in. That takes between 30 seconds and two minutes to call the alarm company. And then the alarm company has between one minute and five minutes to call you. That's like eight minutes. So that person has been on your property like with an intent to break in for eight minutes. And what we use the data for, we use the AI for is to take that eight minutes, make it 15 seconds. And when you do that, all it takes is talking to someone usually and they're gone yeah scare the crap out of them that, that, is, that is so awesome i have a question Do, have you ever by doing that kind of work uh found someone casing out of place oh yeah over a period of time yeah because oh, a lot yeah. of people you know they case a place out for a couple of weeks and then they jump on it and then you've like put the dots clinked to the dots and gone hey wait a second that's the third time this week, that same van, that same person, that's a little strange, and then and then grab them? Yep, so, so most of the time, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, most of the time we scare them the first time, so there they're really usually aren't a second and a third time. Every once in a while we do have that, um, but then you're right, right? Like one of the, the great things about this is that it's not ADT calling the police and saying, I have a video, you know, open door and I don't know what it is. We call the police and say, hey, I have this guy He's been here three times. This is the third time we need we need a response. And and it's just that's what police call a verified call for service, right? You you have a description of the crime, you have a description of the suspect, you have a description of the location, you have all the information to do exactly what you're just saying. And so we get this just much more deep uh, ability to to kind of handle that. I'll I'll uh, I'll go on without David here. Um, yeah, the, usually I'm the one that drops out. Yeah, David. <laughs> when, oh, I don't feel so bad. I'll now. take the next guest. I got the next guest here. Can we bring him on, please? Um, yeah. but, uh, Welcome yeah. to the new show. One of the uh, <laughs> one of the other things that we do though to, to to address that though is we also have a thing where we just answer the door for people. So if somebody's sitting at the door for sixty seconds. We always answer the door. So if it's if it's like someone pretending to be a contractor. In fact, I got an email this morning from a woman who's a judge, and we protect her home. And she had a guy pretending to be a contractor who lied about coming to check her electricity. And because Deep Sentinel was there, we came over the the intercom and said, "Hey, I, I noticed that you've been at the front door for a minute. This is a security company. I need to make sure that you're supposed to be there." Bam, they are now done casing the place because they know this is not the place to go. Right. And um, and yeah, this is a judge. Like this is a, a serious uh, threat. This is a, a very important member of our society. Um, and so we, we kind of really use this idea uh, that the military calls left of bank, which is that do everything you can before anything bad happens. And you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a, a pound of cure. So, any, and I know Gary's waiting, and I just took off for a minute, but. I had to ask this question. You know, a big, a big security issue now is just stealing uh, packages. Yeah. Right? It, and it, and it's, it's a, a, I mean, billions of dollars are being stolen. Yeah. Um, 
is there any video capability that allows you to zoom into and, and so as you're sitting there going hey i just saw you take the package put it back I'm zooming in onto the license plate of your car i mean obviously the timing works because you can call the police and mm-hmm. give a description in the car right when it's taken but even more importantly can you prevent it because you have some sort of additional video or is it just audio yeah, so we do have video and we do have audio. Um, uh, we do have high resolution cameras. We have cameras that go all the way up to 4K. We have wired cameras that, that can do that. So so absolutely, right? And and, and it's it, the way that we would use it is exactly the way that, that you're saying is, you know, the more information I can put in front of someone, hey, I need you to put the package back. I can see that your license plate is XYZ. I, <laughs> this is not a good idea, right? I'm on the line with the police. They now have your license plate. You can put the package back and we're done. Or you can turn this into whatever you want. Call your lawyer now. And, and so, yeah, I mean, but, but again, like most of the time what we see is just the voice interaction is either enough or they're just they're going to do it. And we got to go get them with the police. Yeah. Um, you know, we did have a great example of this in, uh, in South Carolina a few weeks ago where a guy came in and he stole the package. We happened to call the police and the, the beat cop was around the corner. And so the cop knocks on the door. And the, the customer, she was in the shower. And so, you know, literally didn't get our calls when we were frantically calling her. So the cop knocks on the door, hands her her package and says, I got this guy in handcuffs in the back of my car. Just thought I'd let you know he stole your package. And that's, you know, that's when, again, when I'm talking about like prevention and, and really solving the problem, that's the type of experience that we're trying to create. And that, that you know, we're really the first company to be able to do anything like that. And yeah, so... And because of the technology, I mean, you've obviously been in the Silicon Valley a long time from Stanford on understanding how this works, but the expense has come down so much for that type of super security. I mean, you know, I I want it everywhere except for my backyard when the teenage girls are back there. I don't want to see that stuff. I, I love, I love just keeping the lights off in the house and turning the lights on the backyard on because they're so stupid. They don't realize it's like a fish tank, right? And then you go outside. I'm telling Mike this for a future because he has young kids. Mike, you go outside and you just point to the kid and go, hey, what's that in your pocket? And then the kid goes, it's not mine. You know, you're like, I've been watching you for 10 minutes, brother. Um, it's not fooling me. I'm sentinel of my yeah, own exactly. home. But I, I need sentinel around the rest of my house because I'll take care of that patio in the back with those kids. Anyway, uh, what a great service. I, Thank you. David, what you guys do yeah. is incredible. Uh, I'm going to give you a call to get my installation going. DeepSentinel.com, CEO of Deep Sentinel, David Sellinger, obviously an expert in his field. What a great solution. Finally, someone with some common sense going, why don't we stop some crimes? Amen. <laughs> so beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. Join us again, okay? Thank you. Had a great time. Thanks for having me on. You did too. Don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> Except for if you're robbing my house. <laughs> then you better take this seriously. <laughs> That's so good. Drop the hammer on you. Hey, I had that was great. Like, I, I had to show you what it looks like when you leave. So you're like, what? I was like, <laughs> I did it. It was just like, I was, it was so good. He was like, what show is this? I'm like, this is what happens, man. This is what happens. I, I People drop it. out and drop in all the time. I hit my own so exit. I, hit leave, I don't know why I hit leave studio. So. Uh, Matt, give me a thumbs up if Gary Polk uh, is ready. I see stars, uh, I stars le- in our I eyes. I left my own studio. I left my own show. <laughs> I exit stage right. Uh, Sabertooth Meltzer's exit stage right, like a, uh, a Warner Brothers cartoon. And you're the Tasmanian devil, I'm so and good. I'm a Snaggletooth. <laughs> anyway. I am um, definitely Tasmanian devil. All right, Matt, when you can stay right. Gary's ready. If not, I'll just talk to Mikey real quick. Um, Gary, where is he? Said. Where is he? All right, so <laughs> you know what's so funny? I got to point something out. I know we're on this kick about don't take yourself so seriously. But, you know, what's so interesting is that ADT and other security companies have been around forever since we were kids. And no one's ever taken a step back and said, why don't we actually try to stop like actually what can we do to stop crime from happening prevention which is where i started the conversation instead of you know somehow giving a false sense of security in what we do and i can't tell you how many extraordinary entrepreneurs uh, including in you know nasa uh that have taken 
a step back and said, hold on, maybe I should use my common sense, figuring out the capabilities of the technologies that exist today. Maybe I should use my common sense. I'll give you an example. One of my favorite stories that reminds me of uh, David Selinger's story about, hey, why don't we try to stop crimes instead of report them? Um, but NASA was trying to figure out how to land that lunar uh, explorer on Mars. And they were like, the piece was falling off or something had happened and they're trying to figure out it's five years to get it back. And and the guy's like sitting and, and I mean, millions of dollars of mind power into it. And the one guy, you know, sits back and he's like, why don't we just send two? Like for the expense, it'd be much safer if we just send two, two up there, <laughs> right? Two lunar, the, and so they, the parts are there, we can fix it and we'll bring one back. Uh, but like, these are common sense solutions to very complex issues. I mean, that guy's such an expert in AI. He's a pioneer of AI. I mean, he's no joke, Ivy League educated, been in the space forever with Amazon. Uh, and yet it's his common sense that really made the difference, not the technology, which I love. Yeah, you know what I like is that he they're accountable. They're not like trying to just, like you know how some people do the surface and think it's enough and like, well, oh, it's the consumer. Like they're like, no, we're going to figure out, watch these people, be it in real time, make sure we call the cops, make sure everyone's on point. And I think that's a really great thing. Like for people, if you're going to step into something and be of service, be really accountable, do a good job. Yeah. And I think, you know, people who actually care make that difference as well. Um, yeah, agreed. I know we're waiting for uh, Mikey. Uh, you're coming down in a couple of weeks to Office Hours, the TV show? I am. When are we actually shooting? I didn't even get any. I didn't get any messages. It's the twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, right? We're scheduled today, yeah. So oh, you're okay. on one day. We got your day scheduled, so you got a couple episodes banged in there. Blaine has a couple episodes. Dave Marino has a couple episodes, and of course, Mikey Mumola. Uh, so we got, I think, eight episodes covered by you guys, uh, which is pretty good. Um, it's gonna. You wouldn't believe the guests that are on with you. I, I, I personally picked them, uh, so you, you're gonna love it. We have. Big, big, big guess. Not as big as uh, Gary Polk, but you know, Cameron Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> He's that's sitting back so good. there. But that's good Maybe. because we do four guesses, four guests an episode, right? Four guests an yeah, episode. So, yeah, that's amazing. Eight guests. That's incredible. It's awesome. Yeah. So you're you're welcome to hang out in case uh, we need you uh, for the rest of the days. But for sure, you're scheduled on one day. Uh, I believe it's the the thirteenth. Tuesday the 13th. Oh, no problem. I'll check in with Jakey. There's no stress. Yeah. Whatever's the awesome. easy big day. I want everyone to check it out too. We got over, you know, we have over 200 episodes of the, uh, digital office hours. What's the biggest change you've made in your life since the start of COVID? Oh, there's a question for us. Hmm. Mike, you go first. Biggest change. Ooh, that's really difficult. Um, I started like what I didn't expect is I started writing full time. Like I always journaled and wrote, but not like I do now. Like I make sure that every morning I write conscious, like stream of thought for about 30 minutes and it removes the fog in the morning so I can see clearly. So that was the biggest change. Well, in mine, mine is just not, not needing to travel, right? Like figuring out how I was always very efficient, but I was efficient in my travel by holding court by, you know, 19 different meetings and doing phone calls in between and priding myself on flying overnight so I wouldn't have a hotel room and all of these different things and completely resistant to Zoom in uh, anything virtual. Uh, and the biggest change in my life is I have become a powerful speaker virtually. I've become a powerful meeting giver and taker and interviewer and interviewee virtually. Uh, and I'm very comfortable and way more uh, profitable and efficient virtually. And I know that's a more common one for everyone to think about, but I, it goes beyond just doing things virtually. Like I am a efficient, effective, statistically successful machine virtually. And I'm going to, bl I, I blend the virtual side while I'm on the road traveling now to enhance and amplify how productive I am, how accessible I am, how gracious I am. Um, and it's allowed me 
to have much more time with what's most important with me, which is my health and my family. Uh, because yeah. of the virtual nature, I am far more healthy than I've ever been. You know, I, I uh, you know, have stuck to a consistent nutritional and exercise behaviors that have enhanced my life. And I have spent more family dinners uh, together with my family, which has meant more to me uh, than anything, considering I've traveled 200 days a year since I was 24 years old. And here at 53, it's been about a year and a half. And although recently I've taken a few trips, not nearly uh, the amount of trips that I took before. Um, I know we're pressed uh, here against time, but uh, Gary's ready, I think. Uh, Matt, should we bring him in? Hello, Gary. Hello, hello. Dave, how are you? You know, no one told me either that, you know, this digital stuff could be more difficult than writing uh, extraordinary books that impact the entire world. But all three of us are authors, and all three of us had had I, – I kicked myself off of the show. I don't know if you are here earlier, but Mikey dropped off the show. I dropped off the show, and we couldn't get you into the show. So my first thing is thank you for your patience. Uh if anyone doesn't know, Gary Polk is the professor and founder of the Polk Institute. Um, and he launched the Institute in January of this year to help social entrepreneurs uh, create their financial freedom, their legacy, not just for them, but for the future generations, um, which I am, as I have authored a book called Compassionate Capitalism, I sit as the chief chancellor of Junior Achievement University aligned with uh, your entrepreneurial goals and social entrepreneurship and so excited to have you here and you have written a couple books as well um i believe yeah gary just to start off that this is the most important thing that we could be supporting right now because i believe that this universe in this world will be saved by only one class of people and it's not by color it's not by race and it's not even by economics it's by the entrepreneurs we're going to need the entrepreneurs to figure out how to create uh, and fix the hole in our in our atmosphere so it's not 130 degrees in Oregon. We're going to have to figure out from entrepreneurs how to stop pandemics. And uh, we are also going to have entrepreneurs figure out to create safe organic foods, uh, all types of great things. So I applaud everything that you're doing, but would love to hear your perspective on how important it is to create this positive legacy for future generations. Well, that's a, quite an intro. I just got to say first, your conscious capital, um, is it conscious capital or conscious capitalism? Compassionate, compassionate capitalism. Compassionate capitalism is a great title because Thank like you. you, I believe in entrepreneurship and capitalism as well. Um, 30 years ago, 1991, I started teaching at Cal State Northridge with never the desire to be a college professor, but the dean of the College of Business out in Northridge wanted to bring more black and brown to Northridge. And they wanted a freshman class called Intro to Business. He asked me to teach. And I wondered, how could I establish myself as a university professor? I looked at the textbook and decided I had read a lot of biz, uh, business plans as a banker. I'll teach him how to write a business plan and I'll teach them that the most important part was the financial part. And I taught them to, I would be their coach. The textbook would be the reference guide. And we would build a business plan from scratch, paper, blank, no templates. And I would bring in my banker friends and CPA friends to form a loan committee. So when they presented at the end of the semester, they weren't submitting, presenting to their classmates. Here we are 30 years later, 2021, the Polk Institute is finishing that job. And so we're going to use capitalism. We're going to use small business as a way to withdraw from welfare, to create some legacies. I did some research, and when I found that $1.6 trillion of student debt is amazing, it's ridiculous. So higher education is totally off track. And I was, I was uh, surprised to find we actually have 15 universities that are tuition free, five of which are military academies, West Point, Naval Academy, Coast Guard Academy, et cetera, are all tuition free, paid by the government. Now we know that they have to do time 
in the military for that education. But I started asking, why can't we have a black and brown teaching of entrepreneurship tuition free? And so January, uh, June 2020, we started talking about it and we launched it January 2021. And we're excited because our first class, we wanted 25, we wound up with 26 in our first cohort class. That is awesome. We're excited. I'm excited as well. And I will tell you, as far as Northridge goes, not only did my wife go to Northridge, uh, but several of my uh, better entrepreneurial students and interns and employees all attended there as well. And I think it's very important that we rethink our education uh, and how we're teaching the financial literacy component, the business component. I mean, it's amazing how many schools don't have a sales class. You know, talk about losing focus of what's real. Like, how are we not teaching sales in college uh, or the university? Um, You know, how to, you know, one of the classes I want to teach, how to articulate quantitative value to exceed what you're asking for. You know, I I, want to teach people how to find the quantitative value and then learn to articulate it to exceed what you're asking for. Because if I can teach people to do that, they'll be very wealthy. No, and they'll be very happy. Their children will listen to them. They'll eat their broccoli. I mean, I've spent <laughs> over a decade uh, practicing how to articulate quantitative value to exceed uh, what I'm asking for. Um, and, you know, there's just so much that needs to be done. What are some of the different things that the Polk Institute does compared to traditional education or business schools? I ran two business incubators prior to the Polk Institute. And we brought clients in and we set them up with a mentor. And then we brought in some education secondly. With the Polk Institute, we decided to start with education, start with training. We developed a 40-week program where we offer one class a week for uh, 10 classes total. And so we have 40 weeks of education and training. And then those who do well, those who prove that they're coachable, we move them to phase two, which is a accelerator launch pad. So instead of having academics teach our class, we have practitioners teach our class, real world. We don't have market research for Procter & Gamble. We have market research for Joe Average, who needs to prove customer concept, a huge difference. So we have practitioner-driven instruction and teaching. Phase two is mentor-driven launch pad where we pair them with a mentor and we give them six months to launch their business. By that, we mean they have to put together their team, their website, and figure out their business model of how they make money. Once they do that, they're ready to launch, and now we're in phase three, access to capital. So phase two could be as long as 26 weeks, could be shorter, depending on how motivated that CEO is, and then access to capital. One thing we find in that world Nobody wants to be the first investor. They want to be the first second. <laughs> nice. That sounds ironic. So our job is to try to help them find that first lead investor. Once one gets in, then other people want to come to the party. But ultimately, what we want to do is create fundable CEOs. So what I mean by that is a CEO that can articulate a vision that other people are excited about and want to join the team. Then you can assemble a team. Then the third thing the fundable CEO must be able to do is go out and raise money, make partnerships, find vendor relations, to bring back to the team to reach that vision. Kind of simple, but that's our plan. Well, simple, simple is proven. That's why my motto is make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. And you have a triple bottom line strategy People, planet, and profit, and I love that. It's completely aligned with my belief system. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Now, where can people apply uh, for the Institute? I know they can go everywhere for your books. Well, you can go to polk-i-s-e-i-indian-s-sam-e-edward.com. That's our website. We're in our middle of our cohort one class. We're going to start taking applications on cohort two in September or October. But I suggest they go to the website and give in to our newsletter, subscribe to our newsletter, and then we'll have some touch points with them. 
That's awesome. Well, please let Mike and I know what we can do to help. This is right up our alley of empowering our future legacy, our future generation of saviors uh, of our country and maybe even our world. So we appreciate what you've done over decades of time for these kids and your legacy will live on with the Polk Institute. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And nice to meet you, Mike. Sorry, I kept cutting out. It's like, I'm, I'm going to have to get a spectrum box in my back. Like Wyatt in my back. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you that's just, you, the deal right there. I know exactly yeah, what you mean. That's a new company for you guys, the portable <laughs> spectrum box. You just wanted Gary to feel good that you he wasn't the only one having problems. So, Oh, my God. Thanks, thanks for leaving us, Mike. We appreciate it. Yeah, that. right. <laughs> thanks, Gary. Take care. Okay. Right, nice talking to Bye. you. Take care. We'll see you soon. Bye. We're here to help you. Man, <coughs> I love pragmatic, pragmatic success. Well, we are uh, all over the place today, but we're hanging in there. And, you know, what better way to ask for forgiveness than bring uh, a rabbi on, uh, executive director of the 34 Chabad Centers of Long Island, the 8pathsofpurpose.com, the rabbi who wrote a book called The 8 Paths of Purpose, and I talk about passion, purpose, and profitability. So, Rabbi, welcome to the Don't Take Yourself So Seriously edition of Office Hours uh, with myself. And uh, as I, my brother's a rabbi, I don't know if you know that, in San Diego, Rabbi really? Meltzer. Yeah, Rabbi Meltzer, and Harvard grad, and just a, a beautiful person. I love to talk to him about two currencies, and that's where I want to start with you. There's a, a currency that you and I both understand called faith. It's an object of energy that we put into the universe <laughs> what we want. Uh, and, you know, that's a very important currency. But I believe, as an entrepreneur, that I need to blend here on the pragmatic earth my other currency of money, the object of energy that we put into the flow to get what we want, with my faith. And there's this blend of we live here in America, we live in a diverse community, we live with different laws and rules and regulations that are not necessary ones of faith. And how do we blend the two currencies, one of the pragmatic world of money and the other of the higher truth of faith? That's a great question. I'll tell you uh, how I look at it because I'm asked this question by many people and it could be a seeming contradiction, but I believe really that if a person lives their life and runs their business in a moral manner, in a legal manner, and then they feel that they're making the money for a purpose, a purpose could be to support a family, to bring my children up, to provide uh, for the community, to be able to give charity, and when a person is able to see that money income as part of a bigger purpose, then there's really no contradiction whatsoever. And why are there eight paths to purpose? Well, what I did was I felt that I wanted to find what the, the operating system of purpose was. And according to Judaism, as you may know, there's a term called tikkun olam, which means that we're in this world to really make it a better world, to take an imperfect world and try to make it a perfect world. Even though it's far from perfect, we still have a lot of work to do, which is all part of the challenge. But in the meantime, I looked at, at life in general and felt that, listen, purpose doesn't have to be climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or Mount Everest or doesn't have to be some uh, fantastic feat that we're able to accomplish. I tried to bring it down to earth and make it very practical, eight mundane, practical things that we're involved in and in our lives that we can apply a sense of purpose in. And when we add that extra sense of purpose to, to the tests we have in life, to child raising, to making a living, to keeping healthy, to uh, you know, and even a number of different things, then that extra dimension of purpose helps us in our happiness, it helps us in our health, it helps us in our sense of fulfillment and our, our feeling that we're having a meaningful life. And those are the eight paths. I'm going I'm to turn the, the cards on you. And, you know, I'm always asking my rabbi and my brother many questions because they're learned scholars and have great applicable knowledge. But I'm going to turn the, the cards. Do you have a question for Mike and I? Uh, yes, I do, as a matter of fact, and I always, uh, I always have wanted to ask this, but I haven't had an opportunity to ask it, so I'm happy you gave me that chance. I'm interested in knowing if a sense of purpose drives you guys to do what you do. You touch a lot of lives. You, uh, you obviously have a lot of motivation to do what you do. You're affecting people. 
and then in large numbers, does purpose have something to do with why you do what you do? Mikey, go first. I'm all purpose. I don't believe in passion first. I believe in purpose. I believe in purpose to be of service. I get up every day, especially working with people that are in recovery. I look at how I can inspire them, educate them and motivate them, teach them to live, love themselves because they matter. And as long as I do that with the content I put out, with how I, whether I'm in the grocery store, I write that down every day. And I also always make that my baseline. So it doesn't matter. I'm always guided by purpose because I don't believe me personally, I can look for the feeling. I get passionate about my purpose. I don't get passion first. Do you know what I mean? So I'm all purpose driven. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. And for me, you know, I have asked this question so many different ways and so many different times. And one of uh, my mentors, a man named uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who was out there in Long Island with you, um, you know, I was searching for purpose and he gave me, you know, I, Here we go. Sorry. <laughs> so I was saying, hopefully you heard me. I, Dr. Wayne Dyer, I was feeling empty. Yeah. I was young and wealthy, surrounding myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas, living in blame, shame, and justification. And I said, you know, Dr. Dyer, just, I, I'm trying to find my purpose. I'm lost. And he said, David, your thoughts about your purpose are your purpose. You need to change your thoughts about purpose. And when I changed the way I looked at things, the things I started to look at changed. And I started to live my life, not for me, not to me like a victim, but through me for everyone else. And I came up with this mission of empowering over a billion people to be happy by finding a thousand people like Mike Diamond and yourself, Rabbi, who will empower a thousand people in your lifetimes to empower another to be happy. And this idea of a blend of making a lot of money to help a lot of people with a purpose, right? Making money, I did, but I didn't have a purpose. Of, once I bought my mom a house in the car, I lost purpose of why I was making the money. It became, I buy more things to be happy, different things, buy things I didn't need, buy things to impress people I didn't like. There was no purpose. But once Dr. Dyer told me my thoughts about my purpose were my purpose, and I had to make sure that I gave meaning, like Viktor Frankl, give meaning to the thoughts that I have and with purpose. My goodness, has my life changed and I've been able to hopefully at least plant seeds under trees that I may never sit under, but inspire others to have those thoughts about their purpose, their That's desire, right. they must be what they can That's do. great. I appreciate both of you sharing that. I'll tell you in my book, um, I basically feel that every one of us is hardwired to want to do exactly what you guys were talking about. And the more we align with that feeling inside that we do have a purpose and that it's really to make this world a better place. And all of us do it in our way, a unique way. Some of us do it by overcoming tremendous obstacles. Some of us do it by spreading a lot of money around. There are all types of ways of doing it. Some of us do it simply by overcoming a, a serious uh, blemish in our own personality. You know, it's, uh, we're part of the world that needs to be fixed. So it's very inspiring to hear you guys talk that way. And I hope you guys should give you lots of strength and lots of health to be able to continue to do it for many years to come. We appreciate you, Rabbi. Thank you so much. May God bless you as well. Come back and visit us again with your wisdom. Make sure you check out the eight paths to purpose. And it's eight paths of purpose.com. I can, can't wait to check out that book. It sounds it's right up my alley. So thank you, Rabbi. Right. Thanks very thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you got it. God bless you. Wow. Good way to, and um, man, we had technological difficulties, but I think sometimes the universe wants to challenge you to get the stuff done the right way. And if you're not willing to take the extra, <laughs> the extra step, it ain't going to work. And we really, we don't quit. Me and Mikey, no. we don't quit. Our technology may quit us, but we're, we're not quitting anyone ourselves. All right, Mike, real quick, because you know me, I got to get on to my next stuff. What's the takeaway for the day? You know, it's been a weird episode going in and out, but I love how you set the tone, which was you can't take yourself too serious. And I just want to say one thing. Don't take yourself too serious. Show up, do the work, do your best because you're enough. I love That's that. It. And mine is, you know, you, know you, you look at all the imperfections in the world and, you know, people say, oh, you know, 
this person died. Where's the perfection in this? Or my son has autism. Where's the perfection in this? And one of my friends has a one-year-old with cancer and he called me just distraught. You know, where is the perfection in that? And I think the rabbi's last comment really struck me. Some people are put on this earth, right? It's all here that we're hardwired to make it a better place. Some people are put on this earth to make everyone else better. And they have to have the struggles and the challenges uh, to be able to bring out the perfection in others. And it's the way that we act uh, with the imperfections, whether they're in others or in ourselves, that allow us to have that desire that we must be what we can be to make this a better place. And look, I'm here every day on these things. And people ask me, what are you doing? This is what I'm doing. And this is why I'm doing it. And if you don't get it, don't worry. We'll keep coming until you do. And we're planting seeds and someday you may or you may not. But we're here to make this world a better place, to empower more people, to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, have a lot of fun. And part of that is rule number six. Don't take yourself so seriously. Say goodbye. We love you. Say out of your way. Love you, mate. Love you, mate. Bye, bye, buddy. All right. What a great episode. Different episode. Diamond Life Fuel. Check out Mikey Diamond. David at dmelcher.com. If you want my book, ebook, audio book,